29, and we're going to start in verse 18 in a second. So on Sunday mornings, the past several weeks, we've been talking about all in. Everybody say all in. Everybody say all in. And we've been talking about the importance of vision. We've been talking about what the future of our church is going to look like. We've been talking about being a part of community on that first week and, and doing life together and doing family together. We talked about last week about moving with God and moving with the plan of God and that God is waiting on us. We're not waiting on him. He's waiting on us. And so today I want to continue this series about all in, talking about vision, talking about the future, talking about what's ahead for us. So today, if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is The Church that I see. The church that I see. So let's start in Proverbs 29 in verse 18 in the King James Version. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. But notice that where there is no vision, the people perish. Now can we look at that in the Message Bible? Proverbs 29, 18, it says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, now that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to talk to you about what God has revealed for this church and for our future. Notice they are most blessed. I love that. If people can't see what God is doing, that's what I want you to see today, what God is going to do in your life in this church. Notice, but if you can't see it, you will stumble all over yourself. But when they attend to what is revealed, they are most blessed. Can I get amen today? So we're going to talk about all in again this morning, and we're going to talk about the church that I see. The church that I see. The Bible says, without a vision, the people perish. Without a vision for your personal life, you're not going anywhere. Your life will perish. Without a vision for your family, your family will perish. Without a vision for your future, your future will perish. Without a vision for your company or your organization or your church, it will perish. Without a vision, the people perish. And God is a God of vision. God is a God of seeing. He's a God who sees ahead and he can give you divine vision, divine guidance, divine counsel on what your life is supposed to look like. And myself as the pastor of this church, I'm here to give you some vision on what the rest of our church should look like. I'm going to give you some vision on what I see in the future. Now vision is something that's a wonderful thing that people have. It's powerful. And vision is a picture of your preferred future. It is the image of your hopes and dreams. A vision is a picture of your preferred future, an image of your hopes and dreams. Now, sight is what you have in the natural. Sight is what you see with your eyes open. But vision is something supernatural. Vision is something that you see with your eyes closed. It's internal. Now, you see sight, that's external. With your natural eyes, you, you see certain things. But vision is internal. I, I love this. A long time ago, uh, the great man of God, Oral Roberts, said, if you can see the invisible, you can do the impossible. And what is that? That's vision. That's being able to see something on your insides, on your heart. On your mind, not with these eyes, because if we live by these eyes, by sight, we will never accomplish anything. We don't live by sight, we walk by faith. 
And vision is the ability to see things in your heart and your mind that you don't see with your natural eyes, that you don't feel with your natural feelings. It's the ability to see something that God puts in your heart for your own life, for your future, for your church that's internal, but you got to see it on your insides first before it ever comes out on the outside. And so vision happens internally before it happens externally. So we see that vision is something that we see with our eyes closed. We see with the eyes of our heart, with the eyes of our mind. And without a vision, the people perish. You know, this is interesting. Helen Keller who said this, and she was someone who couldn't see. Uh, and she did great things with her life. She said the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. And we see a lot of people walking this earth and they can see naturally and they have some natural gifts and natural abilities, but they have no vision and their life is perishing. And today I want to talk about vision, but specifically vision for this house and for this church. You guys ready to hear what I'm going to say today? That's why I entitled it The Church That I See. Why? Because vision is what you see in your heart, what you see in your mind. And you got to get a vision from God for it to come to pass. And so vision today, so important. It's the picture that you see on the inside of your preferred future. It is the image of what you're hoping for, what you're dreaming for. So I want to tell you a little bit today about the church that I see. And talking about the church that I see this morning, the things that I'm going to share to you today are not just things I copied and pasted from other churches and other people. Now, there might sound like there's some similarities, which there should be if we're all reading the Bible. If we're all hearing from God, most churches should sound somewhat similar. But every church is going to be unique in what God gives them and the vision he gives them. But everything I'm going to talk about today, I want you to know that I've heard from God about it. But also, these are things that are important and valuable to me personally. Like, this is the kind of person I want to be. This is the church I want us to be. So I'm not just saying these things just to say them. I want you to know that before I say what I'm about to say this morning. And I'm not just copy and pasting other churches' visions and plans. No, this is what God has spoken to me, but also what's important to my heart and to the future of this church. So we're going to talk today about vision. Now, we see that the vision of this house for 35 years, we're celebrating 35 years, which is an awesome accomplishment this year as a church. We're celebrating 35 years as a church family. We have had an awesome foundation as a church. As a church family, we built a great foundation in the original vision of this church. We're not throwing that away because that's the foundation that we build on top of. And for 35 years, there has been fruit and lives changed, and people healed, and set free, and delivered, and really the main thing is uh, through mom and dad in their life, and the word that's been preached here, there's been strong families built, and there's a reason there's been such strong families and strong people built, because you got to have a strong foundation if you're going to build a tall, large, influential building. You can't have no weak little baby foundation if you're going to build a big building. you got to have a strong foundation with some strong people and some strong families. And you know what? A large foundation takes time to build. You could build a house pretty quick compared to a high-rise building that's 100 stories. 
because it takes a long time to build a big foundation. And we've been doing that for 35 years, and it's an awesome foundation, and we're not changing the foundation. We're, we're not one of those younger pastors that is trying to destroy the foundations of their parents so they can build one that they think they know what they're doing, and they don't. And to restart the whole thing, only to realize when they get a few years older, hey, I should have built my church on this foundation because this actually doesn't work. Kind of like we talked about in the Redig the Wells series. Uh, the, there's already been some wells and some foundations dug. It's not like we got to figure out something new. We need to go back to the tried and true and the things that have worked before. Are you guys with me today? And so we're, we're going to build on that foundation and that vision that has been here for 35 years. We're going to build on that. And it's taken a long time to build such a strong foundation for 35 years. It's taken a while to do that, and it's important. And we've seen God do so many great things. But the past is awesome, and it's awesome to have that foundation. We're not going to forget that, but you got to move forward. With your personal life and with every other part of your life, it's awesome what God did in the past, and you can remember that to celebrate it, but don't live there. We don't live in yesterday's victories Yesterday's healings, yesterday's miracles, you know, in 1987, God did something in my life. Yeah, but what has he done since then? Come on now, somebody. We, we can't live in the past. We're thankful for it. We celebrate the past 35 years. We celebrate what God has done in our lives. But God wants to do more, and God wants to do greater, and the best is yet to come. And God always is a God of progression from faith to faith. I'm preaching better than you're responding. From glory to glory, from strength to strength, from miracle to miracle, your life should be improving and getting better and growing. It should not be the same you were five years ago, 10 years years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. We shouldn't be the same church we were 35 years ago. We appreciate it. We celebrate it. We honor it. We always will have that foundation, but we don't look back. We got to look forward. Same thing in your personal life. Hear me, church family. You can't keep looking back. You got to look forward. No matter how good it was in the past, you got to look forward. Because God wants to do greater things, greater things, greater things. But he can't do that if you're constantly looking in your past. He can't do it. So we have to move forward with what God wants us to do. So we appreciate it. We honor it. But we're going to build on that foundation. I love this quote by, um, he's a famous preacher. He's passed away, but his name was Bishop T.F. Tenney. And he said this. The church will change the world when its dreams are bigger than its memories. And that's what I want to say to you today. It's great what God did in the past. It's awesome. 95, 96, 97, 98. We honor it. We celebrate it. But we're in 2020. And God can do better things than 95, 96, 97, 98. And he can do greater things than he did in the Oh, I remember 2006 camp. It was great. God touched me. We're in 2020. What has God done since then? I remember, I remember we had a Word and Spirit conference 10 years ago, and that was my year. But what has God done since then? No. The church will change the world when its dreams are bigger than its memories. So that's what we want to talk about today. Some visions, some dreams, some hopes, some plans. 
a vision, a picture, an image of our preferred future, of our hopes and dreams, because the dreams that God has for this house. Now, now today I'm talking family business. So if you're visiting today, we love you. We're glad you're here. But this is family business. Now, you're going to be a part of the family anytime you want. But this is family business. But the dreams that God has for this house is so much bigger than the past. It's so much greater than the past memories of things that happened and moves of God. And, you know, this happened this year and this happened this year. No, God has greater things for us. And notice the church that will change the world is one who has bigger dreams than its memories. We honor it. We bless it. We celebrate it. But we're not living there anymore. We got to move forward with what God has for us. So I want to talk a little bit about vision for the first part of this message, and then I want to talk about values. So as a church, what is the church that I see? Why well, see our church? Now, you don't have to write all this down today. I just want you to listen. Even if you can't listen and write at the same time, just listen. Just listen and amen to what I'm saying. Smile at me when I'm talking. Because I'm going to say a lot of stuff today. But the vision in the future that I see with this church is I see our church Because of the prophecy spoken to our house about this church, I see our church is a region-changing church. Region-changing church. That's what I see. Not with these eyes, because I was looking with these eyes, I would say, we're not changing Grantline Road. But how many know vision doesn't say that? Faith doesn't say that. Vision is on the inside, and I know if God has spoken that, then that's what our church is called to be. So we have to see with the eyes of our heart. We have to see with the eyes of our mind. We have to see with the vision that God has given us. And the church that I see, it's not just a church of 200 people. It's a region-changing church. It's a church that's not just affecting New Albany, but it's affecting all of southern Indiana. It's affecting the Louisville area because that's what God has called us to be. And we're a region-changing church. I see a large church, but also an influential church. Now, in those prophecies, if you read it, it keeps saying time after time that this church is going to have influence. Influence in the government. Influence in the city. Favor on our church. So, yes, I want to be a large church. Why? Because we want to reach a lot of people. And there's a lot of people that need to be reached. There's a lot of people that need Jesus, that need to be healed and set free and delivered. But more importantly, I want to be an influential church. Because how many know there's some churches that are big, but the only people that know about the church is the people that go to the church. It's like, you got a lot of people, but you step one side out that door. No one in the community even knows who you are. Because you're not affecting anybody. So, yes, a large church, a region-changing church, but more importantly, influence, an influential church that's affecting the city, the community, the region for good and for God. That's what I see. All right, we got three amens. Let's try this again. So we see that our church is called to be a region-changing church. It's supposed to influence this region. I see our church also, this is important to me, a multi-generational church. Our church is called to be multi-generational because that's the plan of God. That is the heart of God. How many know that God has said this so many times in the word? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of David, but he's also God of Solomon. 
He's the God of Moses, but he's also the God of Joshua. He's the God of Paul, but he's also the God of Timothy and Titus. It's always about generations with God. If we, in one generation, received all this from God and don't pass it on to the next generation, we failed. And you could look back and say, yeah, but when we were in revival, we were getting it, y'all. We had a move of God in 95, 96, 97, 98. We had a move of God in 2000. We had a move of God in this year. And when it was our generation, we were just on fire and we were getting it and God was moving and doing stuff. But if we don't pass it on to anybody else, we have failed as a church. We have failed as parents and grandparents and we have failed as a church family if that's what our church is going to look like. God is a God of generations. So the church that I see is multi-generational, and we are right now, but I want us to continue to be, because really right now in our church, we have three generations. We have three generations of people in this church. We have people that started this church that are 60 to 90. We have people that are in the middle of this church from 30 to 60, and we have people from zero to to 30 in our church. We have three generations of people in our church right now, but I want it to remain that way. We're not just going to be a young church or an old church or a middle-aged church. We're a multi-generational church because we need that, and every generation brings something unique and something special to what God is doing. And so we need every generation. It's, it says so many times in the book of Psalms, this generation shall declare your works to the next generation. And this generation shall tell your miracles to this generation. And you shall give this to your, your children and your children's children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. And I want you to pass this on for the generations after generations after generations. God is into generations, church. And this church, the church that I see, will be a multi-generational church. Because that's really a healthy church. You know, if we were just a church of young people, it wouldn't be a healthy church. If we were a church just of old people, we wouldn't be a healthy church. If we were a church of just middle-aged people, we wouldn't be a healthy church. A healthy church looks like a family. So you got the babies in the family. You got the teenagers that need a spanking and something else. Need to go to the room and take their cell phone away. We got some young adults. We got some, some middle-aged, some young adult families. We got some... Uh, grandpas and some grandmas and some aunts and some uncles and some cousins. We need a multi-generational church. That's the heart of God. So the church I see is multi-generational. And once again, I'm saying this because God spoke this to me, but also this is what I feel about personally. This is important to me. So a multi-generational church, here's another one. We're going to be a multi-racial church. That's important to me. Now, God says that in his word, but me personally, that's important to me. But God has not called us to be a white church. And God has not called us to be a black church or a Hispanic church or an Asian church. He's called us to be the church, which is everybody. And the Bible says, now, now let me tell you what the Bible says, because we've got so many politicians and nonsense in the world today from either side, conservative and liberal. They're both wrong and they both ain't right. Just face it, they are. So I'm not for either one of them, Democrat or Republican. They're both wrong. Jesus is right. The Bible's right. Everybody else is wrong. Let's just establish that fact here. I really, I don't agree with either one of them at this point. I agree with Jesus in the Bible. And the Bible says that every person that's ever been created came from the same two people. 
Adam and Eve. Also, it says that God created us from one blood. If you cut us all, we're all the same blood. It's red. We all come from the same two people. We all come from the same blood. We come from the same source. And our church should look that way. And more importantly, our church should look like heaven because in Revelation it talks about when you get to heaven, there's going to be every tribe, every tongue, every color, every race, every background. And that's what heaven has looked like, so that's what the church should look like. Come on, I'm saying something today. I don't know if you're listening. That's what the church should look like, and that's the church that I see, and that's the church we are going to have at this church. So if you don't like that, then go somewhere else where it's just all white people and black people. Because I've, I've heard it said before, the most segregated day in, in the week is on Sunday mornings. Shouldn't be that way. Doesn't have to be that way. Shouldn't say, well, I go to a white church. I go to a black church. I go to a Hispanic. Just go to church. More importantly, go to the church that God has called you to be. And really, I feel like if it's a God-given church, there should be some variety. Don't get me going on that. I got to pull it back. I got to pull it back. Because once again, just like the generations, every race, every culture, every type of person, just like every generation brings something unique, so does every culture and race. And we need it. We need that. Every different culture and race of people has certain giftings and certain graces and something that they're good at that other other uh, races and cultures aren't. And so, really, you're missing out if your church is just one way or one color or one type of person. And I'm just saying today, the church that I see is always going to be multiracial. And we're going to value that and honor that because that's the church I see. And that's the person I want to be. And that's the heart of God because we want our church to look like heaven. So, you guys with me so far? So, our church is multi-generational. It's, it, it needs to continue to be multiracial. We, we have a multiracial church, but it, it needs to get more variety in here. Come on, find a Russian or somebody. You know, find, find somebody from Botswana. I mean, just, just start grabbing people from other countries and just bring them over here. I mean, we need some more variety around here. Come on, we got enough English and Irish people in here. We need some other, other races and backgrounds and countries to show up here. Because that's the heart of God. And I love it. I love it. But that's the kind of church we're going to be. And that's the current kind of church I see. And um, so we're going to be a multiracial church. We're also going to be a light to this region and this community. I feel strongly about this that even if people disagree with what we believe in as a church, they're not going to be able to knock church on the rock. Like, I don't know if I agree with everything down there, but that church has got something going on. I don't know if I agree with everything, but man, when I went to their service, their praise and worship was anointed. Of course, they wouldn't know that word. They would say, oh, there's such a vibe and a power in that place, such a presence. Yeah, this anointing of God. But they can't knock the anointing. Or, you know, I don't even know if I agree with that Pastor Jordan down there, but he could preach. I don't know if I agree with everything down there, but their kids' ministry, they got it going on. I don't know if I agree with everything down there, but, man, they're, 
Corey group and their summer camp, they know what they're doing with young people down there. And so I want to be the kind of church that's not just celebrated within the four walls of the church, but outside we are a light to this city, a light to this community, a light to this region that we're well respected. And the, one of the prophecies are spoken in there. It says that we're going to have influence in government in the city. How many know if the government and the city don't respect us, we're not going to have influence with them? So I better start running for mayor or something. I mean, we got we got to get some, some uh, street signs out. But we know that if we're going to be a light to this region and influence the government and influence the city and, and to reach out to people, we are going to have to be a church that's a light to this community. So that's the kind of church that I see. You guys still follow me today? So the church that I see, this is the vision for some of the things that are going to happen for the future of our church. So once again, it's a region-changing church. It's large. It's influential. It's multi-generational. It's multiracial. We're going to be a light and a place of hope for this community. Whether, whether they agree with us or not, they will respect what's going on here. They will love what's going on here. And they will actually send other people here, hey, you need help? Go to Church on Rock. I don't go to church, but you need help, so go to church. And I know the church to go to because I know you can get saved down there. I know you, they believe in healing down there. I know they believe in deliverance down there. I know they believe in the power of God down there. So you need to go to that church. And I don't mind being referred to as that in the community. But let's be referred as a church that people can come to for help and for hope. That's the church that I see. And that's a vision I see for our house. So I want to kind of shift gears because we've been talking about vision, but there's a thing that goes with vision and it's values. And values is really kind of uh, the next step of the vision is what, what you see out here, but the, the values are kind kind of got to be the people that we want to be for the vision to come to pass. This is kind of the culture that we're trying to set as our church for the vision to happen. So I have 10 values. Now don't sweat because you're thinking we're going to be here to three o'clock in the afternoon. No, I'm going to try to go through this quick, but I have 10 values that I feel like God has spoken to me about. And these are 10 things that I want to be as a person, but I want our church to be 10 values. Are you ready for that? Okay, so the first one I want to talk about is, as a church, the church that I see, the church that I see, Jesus is our message. Jesus is our message. And I have a verse for that, 1 Corinthians 2 and 2 in the Message Bible. It says, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. Let's leave this verse up here. Notice the Apostle Paul speaking. He said, now he could have talked about anything, very educated man, very spiritual man, and he said, when I preach, I keep it simple. Keep it plain and simple. First Jesus and who he is and Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. So as a church, this is going to be the first value that we talk about today. As our church family, this is a promise to you, Jesus is our message. We're not going to trace, tra- uh, chase down rabbit trails and go down all these side roads of things that aren't really important because a lot of churches do that. We're going to keep the main thing the main thing, which the main thing is Jesus. Keep it plain and simple and clear. So Jesus is our message. That's a value for this church and for this house. The next one is people are our heart. 
people are our heart. John 3, 16 and 17 in the New Living Translation. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. So we want to talk about this for a second. Our second value is people are our heart. God loves people. I don't know if you knew that, but God loves people, and his heart is people, and the whole reason he came is for people, is for this world to seek and to save that which was lost. And if we're following after God's heart, people are our heart. I, I know I shouldn't have to say that in the church, but there's a lot of churches, people are not their heart. <laughs> That's why people don't feel welcome there. People don't feel appreciated there. People feel like they don't care there. Because they've lost track of the fact that Jesus is all about people. He came to save people. He loves people. And we as a church, we should be all about people. That's what it's all about. We're in the people business. We're not selling coffee. We're not selling computers. We're not selling cell phones. We're in the people business. And people are important and people are our heart as a church. Third value. Generosity is our privilege. We as a church, we're going to continue to be generous. That's something that I care about personally, but God cares about. Generosity is our privilege. And really, can I commend you for a second, church? You guys are a great church family that gives a lot. I mean, for 35 years, you have given so much. I mean, not just to our church, but you've given to other ministries and other causes And we've been able to bless a lot of pastors and preachers, a lot of other churches to help a lot of people in need. And we as a church operate way differently than a lot of churches our size because of your giving. Because you're such a generous church. But I know you're a generous church because you've been taught about generosity for a long time. And you had a pastor before me, my dad, who talked about prosperity. So you guys believe in that and you live that and you're generous with your money. But that's going to be a value that we continue to have at this church. We're going to be a generous church. And notice, generosity is our privilege. It's not an obligation. We're not giving because we have to. We're giving because we want to. We're giving because we love to. We're giving because we love God and we love people. And it's a privilege to be a part of what God is doing, not an obligation. Are you with me, church family? So generosity is our privilege. And I love this verse in Proverbs 11. 24 in the message, it says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Verse 25, The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed, and those who help others are helped. So that's going to be us as a church family. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. And that's what we're going to do as a church family. I'm going to tell you more about that next week, about some things we want to do more with our money at this house. So generosity is our privilege. You guys staying with me? Number four, the fourth value, excellence is our spirit. We want to be known for excellence. Yeah, we want to be known for the anointing and the power of God, absolutely. But we're going to be excellent around here with everything we do. From the classrooms to the life groups to the website to the social media to the way it looks in here to how clean it is to the music, to the preaching, we're going to be excellent because God deserves excellence. 
If anything in your life deserves excellence, it's God. Yeah, be great at your job, but be better at church. Be interested in your hobbies, but be excellent for God. He's the only one worth that in our lives. And excellence is our spirit. Now, I'm going to tell you about Daniel for a second. Daniel 6 and verse 5. Or uh, Daniel 6 and verse 3. Amplified. It says, then Daniel, notice, was distinguished above the presidents and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Now, let's just leave this up here for a second. Now, Daniel, in the Bible, anointed by God, he went to a, another country where he was not favored. He was not blessed. He was under other people who didn't know God. But because of how excellent he was and had an excellent spirit, it said that God promoted him time after time after time again. Now, he was anointed, but notice they didn't notice his anointing. They noticed his excellence. They noticed he's sharper than everybody who works here. He's smarter than everybody who works here. He handles his personal life in such an excellent way. All the kings of a foreign country who didn't believe in God and were against him kept promoting Daniel because he had an excellent spirit. And that should be the spirit of our church. We're excellent in our spirit with everything we do. Nothing's insignificant from the way the toilets are cleaned, from the people that are outside, parking cars. We're going to be excellent in our spirit because God is worth that. And once again, when people come in from the outside that don't know God, they don't see our anointing first. They see our excellence. That's what they see first. They see the facility. They see the people. They see the parking lot. They see the worship. They see the preaching before they ever see the anointing or presence of God, they don't even know how to talk that way. They see the excellence first. So excellence is going to be our spirit. Now, I'm not saying we're perfect because we're, we're far from perfect as a church. We're a good church. But that's what we're shooting for. That's what we're going for as a church. We want to be excellent in our spirit. Number five, faith is our lifestyle. That's a value. As a church family, this church was built in faith, born in faith, sustained by faith, still going by faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. We are a faith church. I'm not ashamed to say that. I don't apologize about that. If people know, hey, they are a faith church down there. Yes, we are. I feel like you could say a lot of things about our church, but the thing that makes me most happy if you said we're a faith church because we are. We believe God around here. And as a church, this is going to be a value. Faith is our lifestyle. Notice faith is not something we, we use on the way to the emergency room. That's not a lifestyle. That's a life raft. <laughs> lifestyle. So that means we live by faith. We wake up by faith on Monday, not just Sunday. During the work week, when something goes wrong, we don't lose it. We say, I believe God. I'm a faith person. When we get a bad report on Thursday afternoon and there's nobody I can call and the life group leader doesn't answer and Brother Sean's not answering his phone, I can't get a hold of Brother Lesser, Miss Donna, I have a lifestyle of faith, so I'm not freaking out. I'm not losing it because I've been taught faith for 35 years in this church and I believe God and I know where to go. I even know how to look up in my Bible a scripture that I can stand on and believe God, not just wishful thinking, not I hope this turns out all right. I know that I know it's going to happen because I'm a person of faith. 
And that's going to be our church. That's a value to me personally, but as our church, faith is our lifestyle. We believe God down here. I don't apologize for it. Well, you believe God before and some things didn't happen right. Okay, I still believe God. It's a choice. And I'm humble enough to say if I've ever missed it and something has went wrong, it's not God's fault anyways. Be humble enough to say that. Stop trying to blame God for that stuff. Yeah, all of us in here have missed it. All of us in here have tried to believe God and it didn't work out right. But it wasn't God's fault if it didn't happen. And you got to wake up the next day and say, God, I'm sorry. I put that in the past, but I'm going to try again. I'm going to do again what your word says. And faith is a lifestyle. And faith pleases God. And faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And Hebrews 10 and 38, this is a verse I have for that. Hebrews 10 38. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. That's who we're going to be as a church family. No matter what happens, we're going to believe God. We're going to respond in faith. I don't care what happens. We're going to believe God, and we're going to respond in faith because faith is our lifestyle. And the righteous ones will live by faith. And the only way to victory is through faith. The only way to please God is through faith. And we're going to be faith people around here, and this is going to be a faith church. You guys get what I'm saying today? You want, you want some more? We're only on, on number five. I, I got five more. So we're talking about the values of this church. This is another one that's close to my heart. Passion is our response. Passion is our response. I don't apologize for being a passionate preacher because if it's worth doing, it's worth doing with passion or not at all. Don't even stink and do it if you're not going to do it with passion. And this church, we're not going to apologize for being, being passionate people around here because the God we serve is deserving a passion. Not, hmm. not taking notes like you have to. Not doing your ministry helps with a grumpy attitude. No, passion is our response. Because the God we serve deserves a passionate response. Notice, more than your mate deserves a passionate response. More than your kids deserve a passionate response. More than your job deserves a passionate response. The church of Jesus Christ deserves our utmost passion. And passion is not just in your heart. For those of you in here that say that I'm just internal, I, I, just, I just deal with this internally, and I'm not just like other people, you are a liar and you are wrong. Because if it's really on the inside of you, it will come out. If you're happy and you know it, then your faith will surely show it. If you're passionate and you know it, then your face will show it, your hands will show it, your feet will show it, your response will show it, your words will show it. No, you're just passionate about other things. When they had the, the sale on Black Friday, you were running out of the house praying in tongues. You don't act like that in church then why do you act like that there? I've seen some of y'all at football games and basketball games. I'm like, these people act like they're dead at church, and they are just taking laps, yelling at the ref, shouting, dancing. They got their shirt off. They got their chest painted. I'm like, but when you come to church, you act like this. 
So you're going to give a, get a team that can lose your response, and you can't give the God who saved you from hell a response. The God who healed your body and saved you and changed your life and changed your family and changed your future and helps you every day of your life. The God of heaven deserves our utmost passion and response. Once again, not internal. You lying. Because you don't act that way with other areas of your life, just at church. You know what that is? Tradition. It's church tradition to come into church and act stuffy. It's church tradition to act like, oh, if I say anything, the presence of God might leave. That's not the Bible. That's church tradition. Now, we don't want anybody to be out of order here. Trust me, you're not even close, so I'm not even going to correct you. I would tell you if you were. We're just trying to get you up to normal breathing and smiling. Let's just, let's just start with that. Just like smile and say something and actually worship. Like when AMC says to worship, like do something. Passion is our response. You know what passion is contagious? Passion is contagious. When you're passionate and you're around other people, it rubs off on, on you. Just like when somebody's negative and is around you, it rubs off on you. And passion is contagious, but it also is attractive. I love John Wesley said, if you catch on fire, people will come from all over to see you burn. That's passion. People are attracted to passion. Not just another group of church people going through the motions. Another group of church people just reading their Bible because they have to. Another people just worshiping because ah, that's just what I'm supposed to do. Another people just showing up to church doing their religious duty. There's no life in that. There's no power in that. I don't want to be a part of that. And good thing I'm the pastor. I will not be a part of that because this church will not be that way. Because passion will be our response. It will be because God is worthy of that and nothing less. No, it's not just in service, but even when you're helping on a team, I better see that same passion level and vice versa. Why? Because this is the greatest privilege that we have to be a part of what God is doing. This is the greatest opportunity that God has given you to be a part of his church. Come on now, somebody, to be a part of his plan, to be a part of the hope of the world, to be a part of the light of the world, which is the local church. That is the greatest privilege and honor you have in your life. So I'm not going to keep thanking you for showing up when this is the greatest place you can be. Let's get our thinking right. We need God. We need church. Let's get this straight. So acting like we should just be thankful I'm here. No. I am thankful. But this is the greatest privilege that you have in your life to be a part of. And God wants to do it through you. You should be thanking him. <laughs> hey, thank you, Church on the Rock. I have a church to go to. I appreciate it. Said, so, uh, just, just be thankful I'm here. Oh, there's no passion. Passion should be our response. I got a verse for you, Philippians 2, 13. In the Passion Translation. God will continually, for those of you who don't think you have it in you, here you go. God will continually revitalize you. 
Some of you need this. An extreme internal makeover. God will continually revitalize you. Get your passion back, people. Notice what he says. He will implant within you the passion to do what pleases him. There it is right there. Passion is our response. And if you feel like your your passion is lagging, read this verse. Pray this verse over your life. God will continually revitalize you and planting within you the passion to do what pleases him. Passion is our response. Number seven, joy is our choice. This is going to be a joyful house. This is going to be a joyful place. Church should be enjoyed, not endured. And that's the way this church is going to be. That the joy of the Lord is our strength. That the joy of the Lord will be here. And notice, joy is our choice. Psalm 16 and verse 11 in the New King James. It says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Notice that. In your presence is fullness of joy. So we as followers of Jesus should be the most joyful people on the planet. Why? Because in his presence is fullness of joy. Here's a little side note. If you're not joyful... What does that tell me? Okay, let me, let me throw that back on myself, just so you're not. If I'm not joyful, what does that tell me about myself? I'm not in his presence. And really, I didn't need a word of knowledge to know that about myself. I know. Yeah. Oh, you know? Miss Donna. You know that I know? Yeah, okay. All right, you're fired. No, I'm joking. Are you saying when I come into the office, Miss Donna, that I'm not joyful? No. I'm joking. But joy is our choice. We all know. And some of you that have uh, some kids that know God or, or a mate that knows God, they'll tell you, have you prayed today? Prayed today? Because you already know the answer. No, I haven't. That's why I'm grumpy right now. Have you been in the Word today? Maybe you should listen to a podcast or something like that. I know mom and dad have told us many times when dad can get a little edgy. Now, he's a prophet, so you already got a little edge to him. But when he can get a little edgy, he's a very loving man. Don't take this the wrong way. But mom knows him. She goes, Michael, you need to go take a drive and pray. (laughs) Now, what's she saying? Why? Because in your presence is fullness of joy. We all know this. If we get out of his presence, we lose our joy. But joy is our choice. We as followers of Jesus should be the most joyful people on the planet. And this will be a house of joy. I got a few more and we're going to wrap this up today. You guys getting something this morning? Joy is our choice. So the next one is living as a family is our priority. Psalm 68 and verse 6. We read this a few weeks ago for life groups. God places the lonely in families, and he sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. But notice that God places the lonely in families. Like never before, living life as a family is our priority. Living this life. Now I'm talking about all of us together as a family. We're a spiritual family. We're going to do life together. Not in a weird way, but in a real way. We're going to do life together. We're going to eat together. We're going to have our kids play together. We're going to 
be at events together. We're going to call each other. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to give to one another. We're going to live life as a family around here. Because God will place the lonely in families. And he gives every person on the planet a spiritual family to be a part of. So living as a family is a priority. Now, if it's a priority, that means you're going to be here when the doors are open. Y'all know the people that don't show up to the family reunions. You guys know the people in the family, you invite everybody over for dinner. And you know the people that don't show up. What does it say? It's not a priority. It says they don't care. So if you care and it's a priority, that means you're going to be involved in life group. That means you're going to be involved in a team. That means you're going to come to church when the doors are open. That means when people try to get to know you, you're not going to put your walls up. And not let anybody in your life, you're going to be open to them. And you're going to live life as a family. That's going to be a priority in this house. We're going to do family. Next verse, honor is our calling. We live in a dishonorable world. We live in a world that dishonors everyone. Authority, family, any person in our lives other than us, most of the time because of pride, we dishonor. And it gets worse and worse and worse, and you see this with all the people on social media and the people in the culture. It's like no matter what side you're on of things, you're the enemy. You're the bad person. Dishonor, disrespect. But God has called us to be honorable. Honorable to him, we honor him with our lives, but honoring each other. So as a church, honor is going to be our calling. Romans 12, 9, and 10. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. So as a church, we're going to honor God, but we're going to honor each other. We're going to honor people. And here's this. We're going to honor people outside of here that disagree with us. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to still have your convictions. That doesn't mean don't stand your ground. But you can still do that in an honorable way. And when you do that and honor people, even though they could be 100% wrong, what does it do? It honors God when you do that. So honor is our calling. And last, and I love this one, number 10. And we're going to close here in a second. Our region is our responsibility. A lot of us don't take that seriously. We think, well, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will take care of it. No, God put us here for a reason. He said, it's your region. It's your responsibility. The Apostle Paul says in the book of Corinthians, he talks about that God has given each person or each church a sphere of influence, an area where they're called to be. Just like today, all of us, we don't have a grace for L.A. I'm not graced to be in New York City. I'm not graced to be in Miami or Seattle or Portland or Dallas. And you're not either because that's not what God has given you. God has given you this area, this region, southern Indiana, Louisville area. For whatever reason, you're here, and this is our grace zone. This is where God has assigned us. So if God has assigned it to you, that means you're responsible for it. Stop looking around like somebody else is coming. No, you're that person. It's our region. It's our responsibility. 
And we're not going to be judged for what happens in Los Angeles. That's somebody else's grace zone. We're not going to be judged for what happens in London, in Moscow, in Paris. We're not going to be judged for what happens in Sydney, Australia. We're going to be judged for what happens in this region, all of us. Because our region is our responsibility to do something for God. Acts 13, 48 and 49 in the Passion. And as we read this, could I get the praise team to come back up for a second? It says, when the non-Jewish people in the crowd heard these words, they were thrilled and they honored the word of the Lord. All that believed they were destined to experience this eternal life and receive the message. Notice this. God's word spread like wildfire throughout the entire region. How many know that's what's going to be happening in this house and this region? God's word is going to spread like wildfire throughout the entire region. Because our region is our responsibility. You guys can go ahead and start playing a little bit. I'm going to close here in a second. I want to share a couple things with you as we close. And you guys can do there as a cloud for the song we're going to do in a second. But a year ago or so, I told you guys about a story called All In. Anybody remember that? We've been doing that actually for several years, all in. And I told you the story. The story is about the, the 2012 New York Giants, which half of the year they were stinking. They were horrible. They were losing all these games. Everybody was fighting with each other, blaming one another. But they had this chaplain speaker come in and talk to them. And when he came to talk to them, they were on a losing streak. And he brought them all poker chips. And he told them, if this is going to work, you're going to have to go all in. And all in means several things, but it means everyone participating, but also means everyone giving everything they have. That means from the quarterback to the water boy to the coaches to the defense to the offense, Everybody participating, everybody in the game, everybody giving of all their time, their talent, their treasure, their energy, giving everything they have. And he says, if you don't go all in, you're never going to turn your team around. You're never going to do anything significant. You got to go all in. And then he gave him a poker chip. And he said, I want to give you this poker chip because it needs to remind yourself, not just in football, but in life, If I'm going to do this, i got to go all in. There's no other way. With anything in your life, if you don't go all in, go all in, it's not going to work. There's no such thing as somebody who was half-hearted and they achieved the plan of God for their life. There's no such thing as somebody in their family that gave 50% and it worked out. 75% it worked out. you got to go all in. But he said this, and I love this. He goes, in poker, and I don't play poker. I'm not at Caesar's Palace at Miss Donna's house every week, but joking, kind of. <laughs> okay, she doesn't play poker. Other card games. But when you have a hand that can't be beat, my, my, my. That's where the organ comes in there. When you have a hand that can't be beat, that's what he was saying to all these these football players. He said, when you have a hand that can't be beat, what do you do? Your response is to go all in. Because if there's no risk, there's no reward. And all in means either you're going to lose everything 
because you put all your chips in or you're going to win everything. There's only two options. It's the point of no return. It's the you getting off the ship and burning your boats and saying, I can't look back. Either I'm going to lose everything or I'm going to win everything when you go all in. But he says, when you have a hand that can't be beat, you're confident to push your chips in the middle because you know you will win. How much more the church of Jesus Christ that has a hand that can't be beat, that is the most winning team of all time. Actually, we're undefeated. And we will remain undefeated. How much more would you want to go all in and give your life to and give your time to and give your money to and give your family to and give your purpose to to something that will outlast you, something that will outlive you, something that will matter in eternity, which most things don't. But the church will remain to be a part of what God is doing in the world, what God is doing in the earth, seeing people saved and healed and delivered. It is the greatest privilege we have. And notice, when we see that we have a hand that can't be beat, it's easy to put your chips in the middle. Say, I'm going all in. I'm going all in. With all my time, with all my attention, with all my money, with all my focus, Serving God, being a part of his church, seeing people's lives change is the greatest thing I could spend my life to be a part of. The Bible says if you seek him first, then everything else will be added unto you. See, we want to seek everything else and then add God onto our life. It doesn't work that way. That's why you're frustrated. That's why it's not working, because you got to go all in. God says if you just go all in, then I'll go all in with you. You won't have to worry about any of these things. But when you have a hand that can't be beat, how much more? The church. You push all your chips in and say, I'm all in. That means all of us. Now, I want to keep saying that all of us, because some of you think when I say all in, you're thinking like the first half of this church. Or the people working in the classrooms. No, I'm talking to every single one of you. Ain't nobody getting out of my eyesight today. All in. That means all of us giving everything we have to accomplish the plan of God for our lives. That's all in. Did you guys get something this morning?